This is the Out of Water Podcast. Thanks for checking out our podcast. I'm the man behind the controls, Mark Lautenschlager. In studio with me today, your hosts, Pastor of Spiritual Formation, Reverend Sam Kastensmith, and Co-Director of Student Ministries, Drew Brown. Today on the Out of Water Podcast, we're going to be talking about the subject of work. Drew, what do people want most out of a job or a career? I think that people are looking for significance and purpose. And so they want to know that their work, their jobs, and their careers are accomplishing a purpose and a passion for not only themselves, but what they do in this world. Yeah, and I think that's changing a little bit too, because it used to be that people had jobs, and this is still largely true today even. People have jobs, they're looking for meaning, but a lot of times they just see their jobs as a means to an end. In other words, Mm -hmm. it's gonna give me the money I need so that I can do what I think my real purpose is. It's gonna free me up to do it. Now, is that the difference in your mind between a job and a career? Is that a job gives me, is a means to an end, gives me money to do what I want, and a career is doing what I think is important? Is that, yeah, I don't is know. that an oversimplification? I think, I think there's plenty of people who are in a career that they absolutely despise. Okay. Um, sure. You know, I know some of my relatives, they absolutely hate their jobs. I probably shouldn't say that in a place where their their bosses might hear. But <laughs> Would you like to give us specific names and who they work right, for? Right, right, right. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but you know, there's that, that uh, famous song in the 80s by Loverboy, you know, Everybody's working for the weekend. There's a reason, yes, there's a reason that Sam <laughs> preaches instead of singing with the worship band. This is correct. But that's kind of like the common, that's kind of the common view. You know, we're working for the weekend. We have to wake up, we have to get dressed, we have to go to work and kind of trudge through stuff that we don't want to do so that it opens up the possibility that when we get to do what we want to do, we have the means by which to do it. So then work would be the things I do that I don't want to do. Yeah, I mean, in exchange for money. If if you go back, that goes all the way back to Aristotle when he was talking. He says the the sole reason why we work is to open up the possibility that we can have leisure, um, okay. where we can you know have have means to do things that we want to do, take the trip, go on the vacation, retire. But we see work as the means to our end. It's an, it's not the end of itself. It's not the purpose in a lot of cases. Right. It's I work so that I can get what I want. So then why do you think work has such a negative connotation? Drew, why do you think it has a negative connotation? I think in that mindset, if work is a means to an end, then there can easily be a negative connotation because work is something that I have to do a certain allotted amount of time per week to actually get to then do what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And so it can become a burden. You have to, I think it can become kind of monotonous and just something that is draining and exhausting that you just kind of get through in order to make it to the weekend, like you're saying, or to time where you can rest and relax. And so, of course, that would be negative because there's not much purpose in that. Do you, you feel like um, that you guys are doing the kind of thing that you would do anyways, even if people didn't pay you to do it? I mean, you, you work with youth. You are a preacher. You know, I'm a, I'm a geek, you know, that kind of thing. I, I just sometimes wonder, because honestly, the job that I do here is pretty varied. I do a bunch of different things with media, tech, and that kind of thing. And I kind of think that if I didn't have to, I would be doing this sort of stuff anyways. Now, maybe not as, as full time, mm-hmm. but it's never really felt to me 
like the job I have, I mean, certainly I get frustrated. Everybody gets frustrated. Yeah. But I don't get up in the morning thinking, man, I hate what I'm doing today. Yeah. But we're, you know, I would say that that's probably true for the three of us. We love our jobs. We love Definitely. investing in people and helping ministry and doing all these things that that we enjoy doing. Like, right. I, I would still be teaching if I wasn't getting paid right. for it. Don't I, tell I, don't tell my boss. Right. But I, just, I imagine that. I imagine <laughs> yeah. you want to be teaching. Yeah. You know? But here's the deal. You can, you can go off. On the other extreme, too, and I think this is where, you know, there's some people who are like, oh, my job, this is just drudgery, I hate it, but it gives me the paycheck so I can go do what I want to do. But then there's other people, and, you know, and I'd throw me into this camp, where you look at your work as so valuable and so meaningful to you that you desperately want to see it succeed, Mm. and when it doesn't. Because of something that's outside of your control, it's devastating. Yeah, that's you know true. when sure. when I'm in ministry or I'm in a difficult situation and I'm counseling somebody that ends up going off the rails and it becomes a really messy situation, I grieve that. I take it personally, and so you know you can you can look at your job and say oh it's just a means to an end, but you can also make the mistake of looking at your job as the end itself, and that's not right either. Yeah. You know, if it if it defines who you are in its entirety, you know, then it becomes like, oh, I, I I never do enough. I can never do enough. I, right. I, I haven't made it successful, and then that becomes overwhelming, and it will crush you. So we've got a spectrum here. We've got a spectrum of I hate my job. I just need some cash. My job means everything to me, and if I fail, I'm going to jump off a building. And somewhere in between is some balance, correct? Where people feel like I'm doing important work. I, I, I get paid fairly for it, and I'm kind of happy with what yeah. I do. So would you say that most people find purpose in work or don't find purpose in work? Which way would you say it goes? Drew, which way would you say it goes? I think I think a lot of people do find purpose in work. Okay. And I, I actually think that there's this rising cultural emphasis on finding purpose in your work, which mm-hmm. on an aside, maybe we'll talk more on that. But I think that can put a lot of pressure on people when they're considering what career job they want. Even you talk to kids who are going off to college, there's this high pressure to figure out what what do I want to study? What do I want to do? What is going to be my passion for the rest of my life? And I think that's a good thing, but then that can that can put a lot of a lot of pressure on people. But I do think people find purpose in their work. And I, I but either way as we're talking about the spectrum, whether you're thinking I'm just getting through my job to make money or whether you love your job and so it's something that maybe you find too much of your worth in because it's the end itself. Both just sound like there's an overconsumption. Like there's, it's both are consuming in their own way. One is consumed with, I'm just getting through it, and I to get to do what I want to do. And the other is consumed with the thoughts of validating, Mm -hmm. using work to validate self Mm -hmm. or to validate Mm -hmm. the greater purpose. Let's go back to the beginning, Sam. Genesis. That should make Sam happy. Genesis. Adam (laughs) and Eve in the garden. Did they have work? I mean, did they have jobs? Yeah, we we tend to look at work as though it's this really bad thing. But even before the fall, when God comes to man, he gives them this really, really kind of cool commission uh, where he comes to him and says, hey, I want you to be fruitful. I want you to multiply. I want you to go out. And I want you to subdue the earth. And we hear that and we go, subdue the earth? But <laughs> That sounds a little harsh, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, doesn't it? It okay. sounds like, oh, oppressive, subdue the earth. But this is what God's getting at. You know, in the beginning, we're told that God planted a garden, the Garden of Eden, mm-hmm. and he placed Adam and Eve in it. Now, what he doesn't say is that the garden was the whole world, right? So he puts man and woman in the garden, which is beautiful. It's, it's fruitful. It's wonderful. The earth wants the garden, right? It mm-hmm. longs to be a garden. 
And then he says, okay, there's all this uncultivated land, and I'm bringing you and my mission to make this world beautiful. And so, Adam and Eve, I want you to go to work expanding the beauty that you have right now in the garden. I want you to take the garden, and I want it to go all over the earth. And so the trick, when God is calling on us to work, because we're still called to work, even you know, long the Garden of Eden's long gone, right. we're still mm-hmm. called to work. And the, the Christian perspective on this is we're called to bring the garden. That you know, hmm. we pray, can heaven come down That's right good. on yeah. earth as it is in heaven? We pray that. So we want the garden paradise of God, right? And our goal is to spread the garden. That's our goal. When we work, no matter what work we're doing, we're spreading the garden. That's that's what God has called us to do, to make this world beautiful. And every single job, every job, has the ability to expand the garden. I love that. It gives so much value and beauty to work. Because knowing that God instituted work from the very beginning, that it wasn't the result of brokenness or sin because we fell, but it's actually at the heart of God to extend and to be a part of his work here in this world. Like that is, that gets me excited. Well, and, and knowing that, that it was more than just running the Etsy shop for fig leaf loincloths, you know, that's <laughs> that kind of thing. I mean, they had a, they had a bigger, a bigger, more meaningful purpose that it wasn't necessarily about money, but it was about expanding the garden to the whole earth. Yeah. It, it's that's about good. bringing beauty. So, so let me ask you another one of these hard theological questions. Are we going to have work in heaven? Do we get like do we get like time off once we get to heaven, or is that going to be like something continues? See, I think heaven. Okay. That, that's when we get to experience work at its finest because you know we talked about this this spectrum of ways that we view work, right? So you have some people that view work merely as a means to an end. I only work so that I can get the reward. Well, what is that going to look like in heaven? You already have the reward. You're not going to ever experience any more joy and peace and love and fulfillment than you will in heaven. And so that side of ourself is totally taken care of, totally satisfied. But then you get the other person who's saying, I, I, need, I need to be successful. I, I need to, to <laughs> find fulfillment. I need." And in heaven, guess what? That's totally fulfilled. You'll never mm. be more fulfilled in your labors because here's the deal. What happened between the Garden of Eden and what happened before our ultimate destination is the fall, and we live in the consequence of the fall. See, what happens when Adam and Eve choose to rebel against God and make this the me show, you know, it's all about me, and they spit in his face and say, we're going to do it our way. God says, okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> so yeah, now you like it. <laughs> yeah, the, and, and basically what he says because he wants them to understand the safest place where they can be is with him. And so he says, as you've rebelled against me, now the world is going to rebel against you. Nothing is going to come easy anymore. Before, I had set everything up so graciously to just to work with you and to blossom and to be fruitful, but now thorns and thistles are going to grow for you. And we hear that, and that's kind of you know ancient language, but what it means is you're going to work and you're going to want something to be fruitful, and it's not going to come easy anymore. And your relationships are going to be hard, and everything is going to get frustrated, and that's why people hate work. Right. In heaven, all of that frustration, it's gone. Mm -hmm. And so now all the work of your hands produces abundant fruitfulness forever. You're never left empty. You never fail anymore. So we will be working. We'll just be better at it. I don't even know that it's necessarily that. <laughs> or you know, it, maybe it won't feel like work. Maybe yeah, maybe that's you know, the case. Maybe it's not going to feel like work. There's know? the old saying that if you love what you do for a living, you never work, work a day, day in your life. Yeah. Well, I think 
you work, but right. it's joy filled. Okay. It, it's fulfilling to work when things go your way. You know, if you've worked and you've achieved something beautiful, you know, there's few things in life that are that are more wonderful than that. When when you accomplish what you're after and it produces a great, beautiful, you know, expansion of the garden or whatever you want to say, mm-hmm. you rejoice in that. Like that's a really wonderful feeling. That is all you will experience in heaven. There will be no more rebellion against what we're after. It'll, it'll be a garden that's just constantly fruitful. You know, we're told that we're made in the image of God, and everybody always assumes that when you think about heaven, that we're, you know, all on clouds and the angels are little fat, chubby babies playing <laughs> harps and stuff. That is not heaven. See, here's one, and, and we're all kind of robotically all just praising God forever. That's, that's not the case at all. You see, like I can look around this room and I see, you know, God has made me with certain things. He's made me with certain characteristics. He's made Drew with certain characteristics. He's made you. He's made every single listener has a personality that has been given to them by God. Mm. And in heaven, God doesn't take all of that uniqueness away and individuality away. What he does is he takes the self-absorption that's destructive away and purifies it so that you actually become your truest self and he will bring out of you all the beauty that he's designed you for. You'll be more you than you are here. And it'll be this beautiful collage that God brings together of all these very unique people and diverse people to make something really, really beautiful. You don't lose yourself in heaven. Hmm. You find yourself. You find the perfect self. Yeah. 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 You know. Yeah, it's imagining our world without tears and yeah. mourning and death yeah. and injustice and hatred and poverty. And imagine a world where everything is perfect. Yeah. Mm. It's, it's really exciting. So let's talk a little bit about um, this aspect of how we find uh, our calling and our vocation in life. Drew, you, again, you're working with young people. So I think that yes. that's probably at the time of life where they're thinking about what do I want to do? You know, what direction is my life going to take? Yeah. How would you counsel somebody who's trying to find the calling and the vocation for their life? Well, I think that even off of what you were just saying, Sam, this idea that God has made us in his image, but he's uniquely and individually crafted us. And Mm. so that means that every single one of us is naturally wired and gifted in ways that God has given to us. Mm -hmm. And so I think part of what I love to do with my students, too, is to try to walk with them and help them discover and prayerfully consider, like, what are are those things for you? How, How has God wired you? How has God naturally made you? to to use your gifts to go out into this world. And so I think that the first way when considering what you're going to do with your life that I was always encouraged to to think on is to consider what how has God wired you? Mm-hmm. You know, I think about Psalm 139 and it talks about God fearfully and wonderfully makes us and how he is um with such purpose and beauty crafted every single one of us. And so that means that there isn't a single thing about my personality or the things that come natural to me that are by chance or by mistake. And so if I'm able to 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 see those things and to understand that they come from God, then there's such power in that mm-hmm. because then I can begin to take steps to be faithful to what God has already <laughs> given me so that I can be effective for him in this world. Yeah, so step and, one is learn about yourself. Yeah, learn yourself, be curious, right. figure out uh, what already comes natural to you and then ask people, what What do you see in me? What do you see that I am good at? What are things that you would encourage me to put 
I don't know, to, to cultivate, to mm-hmm. grow. And I think that is a huge piece of it. And to ask, you know, to ask the Lord to pray and to yeah. say, God, what, what have you laid on my heart? What are you calling me to step into? You know, I haven't asked him for permission to tell the story, but uh, I'll tell, talk about my son for a minute. You know, he left for college a few years ago and he left to study engineering. And at the time, I mean, you remember, you and I took him to the coffee shop because uh, Sam is an account. Economics. Degrees, economics, right. And, and my son had a, Accounting an light. Yeah. My son had an aptitude <laughs> for that. Gift. And I said, well, you know, why don't you talk to Sam about what that kind of degree is like? Because we knew he was going to the University of Florida. We, you know, we didn't know to study what. And so you talked to them about economics, and then he decided he wanted to get into engineering. But, <laughs> but, but. The, Such a salesman. Yes, but here's the point. The point is, when you asked my son, you know, Kyle, why do you want to study engineering? He said, because it's going to be a good job and I can provide for my family. That was his reason for studying engineering. Now, that's not necessarily that's not a valid reason, but what we're talking about is that that's not necessarily how he's been made and wired. And in fact, it was hard. It wasn't, mm-hmm. it wasn't his thing. And he's back in school now and going more to his strengths. But it took for him to understand that he's doing really well in his new job. That's a, I mean, I don't know that that's an unusual story. I think there's probably a lot of people so that's common. their story. Yeah, so yeah. common. And there's so many jobs I still don't know what do. I want to be when I grow up. I know. You catch me on a different day. One okay. day I'm a detective, <laughs> one day I'm this. Yeah, okay. But it is. There's so many jobs you can do. And so I think part of the huge value of prayerfully considering how God has wired you is that it narrows that scope in a way that makes you able to be more effective. And so, yeah, there's plethora of things that we can do, but I think, especially as a believer, if when we see that vision of heaven and that God calls us to cultivate the garden and to bring, um, prayerfully, heaven to earth, hmm. then that puts more emphasis on, I want to I c- consider what I do and really do it well. I want to work hard towards whatever it is that God calls me to in this life. I love that perspective, this idea that we're here to expand the garden. Because you know, it doesn't really matter what your job is. My job might be making sandwiches, yeah. yet I'm still here to expand the garden. Absolutely. What does that mean? That means I'm here to make beauty. Yeah. I'm here to make to make restoration, to make renewal. These are the things that God wants. He wants the world to be that way. For yeah. sure. And it doesn't really matter what my career is. Yeah. I was walking down. Um, I was walking downtown with my roommate the other day, and we were just going on an, like an evening walk. And my roommate made this comment, and it kind of stuck stuck out to me because we were just looking around, and she kind of zoned out. And then she she just looked up at me, and she's like, "Isn't it interesting that when you look around and you see these buildings or these these flower pots hanging from these light pole, like the light post things, that." Every single one of those things that we see was the fruit of somebody's work. Mm. Like somebody mm. worked to mm. do everything that we're seeing. And I thought it was just such a cool vision of like yeah. all of these jobs that we can, some of them I, I probably don't even consider or think about. Like they all work to, to cultivate the garden and yeah. they all have purpose and beauty. And when you see it come together in that way, it was just a really cool image in my mind. So but, there's, a, there's a great quote from Tim Challies and he's talking about um, he's a Christian yeah, blogger. He's, he's a Christian I, I, blogger. I he's really blog. brilliant. I, he is. I love his stuff. But he's, t- you know, in that in that kind of attitude of, of coming to work and saying, you know what, we're all in the same profession. We are all tending the garden. This is what he writes. He says, the dignity of work comes from the source of that work, which is always God himself. The doctor who operates within the deepest recesses of the human brain is in the same line of work as the person who hauls away the trash from the end of the doctor's driveway. <laughs> they are both working on behalf of God. They are both in the business of extending God's care to other people. Both have the choice to joyfully submit to God's will in vocation 
or to flee from it. Mm. That's revolutionary. That is. It really is. It, it is. They, you know, my my wife, she's one of the most amazing human beings on the planet, but she'll, she will talk with me about how sometimes the mundane things in her life leave her feeling discouraged. You know, when she's, when she's home with the kids, when she's, you know, ha- trying to catch up on the laundry and, and dishwashers and stuff and all these things. And she's like, what is the point of all this? And the reality is God sees everything. And even in those small things, you're creating a beautiful home. You're creating a beautiful memories for your children. You're mm-hmm. creating safety. Even when I go out and I mow the lawn, I'm making my neighborhood look better. I'm keeping it up. Everything is about making this world a better, more beautiful place. And all of it, by the way, is God's central mission, which is to express love. So when I do the simple chores around the house, that's an expression of love to my wife, to my sure. family when she does the simple chores. It's, it's an expression of love. We are all tending the garden, making this place more beautiful for one another. And in that, you're talking about a mission from an infinite God. It has tremendous value. Mm. Absolutely. Now, was, I'm, I'm going to skew a little close to the political line here. But not not far. Dun, because dun, it, dun, dun. Well, there's, a, there's a lot of people out there today that, that have their opinion about you know, should people be working? Should we give people things if they don't work kind of thing? What does the Bible say about that? Does is does the Bible call all people to work, like every single person to work? Yes. And and I'll, when I say that, what I, I guess we need to define yeah, work. Yeah, please. <laughs> Everybody works. Everybody's contributing to make this garden, you know, the world a beautiful place. That doesn't always involve a paycheck, mm-hmm. right? Uh, you're right. That doesn't all, you know, your work can can be a number of things that that don't bring in a paycheck. You know, I have a job here, but there's a great deal of work that I have that's outside of here that I do without receiving a paycheck, but mm-hmm. I still consider my vocation in some sense. And so, you know, the Bible does come Thessalonians, Paul's two letters that he writes to Thessalonians speak a lot to this. And and 1 Thessalonians when you go to chapter 4, he talks about how we're to love one another. But then he jumps, it's, and he doesn't take a left turn here. He goes from talking about love to how we're to work. In other words, my work should be an expression of my love to humanity. And that means that, you know, I've had jobs where I've worked in a cubicle. And it feels like, ah, uh, cubicle. But this is, this is a, a mission field to, to just show love and, and dignity to every single person that I encounter. Like, there's more than just the task that's right in front of mm-hmm. you. There's a great deal of how you treat other people, how you encourage other people, how you lift them up. But then in 2 Thessalonians, apparently they had a problem with idleness. Paul comes and and he gives this this really sobering teaching where he says, if you don't work, you don't eat. Hmm. And and he's kind of laying down the law that's saying the antithesis of love. You know, in the early Christian communities, they would fast and give away food to make sure that the poor had – had food to eat, and they took care of those that were lesser than. But what Paul is saying, the antithesis of love is to sit around while everyone else is working out of a sense of love, and you just take, Hmm. take. It's all about you. Now, if you're unable to work, that's a different story. But if you're content to just exploit, the the scriptures tell you that's the antithesis of love. Okay. It's something that the Bible tells us all that we're to do, but it also makes allowance for the fact that not everything is a paycheck. Not everything is necessarily a job. Correct. We have a vocation, but not necessarily a job. Let's look at it from this angle for a minute. Drew, how would you say that the gospel provides for a redeemed view of work? 
the gospel changes everything because it means that because of the gospel, because of Jesus Christ, if I've placed my faith in him, then I am no longer my own. I was bought at a price and so I belong to God. And so that means that I am every single part of my life, every single thing that I do is it belongs to Christ. And so mm-hmm. that means that my job is not just a job. It's not just something I can mindlessly go about or just fill my time with, but it's now something that God has called me to to walk in and to use to give him glory. And so it changes everything about my life. Yeah, even the most mundane aspects of your job and your career become Absolutely. important at that point. Yeah. yeah. So Sam, what would you say then is the ultimate purpose of work? Well, I think it's it's really to to delight God. Um, oh. You know, I, you know, there's there was a survey that was done by Harvard, and they found that more than ninety percent of American workers would sacrifice some portion of their salary to gain a sense of meaning in their work. Hmm. Um, That's so interesting. Yeah, it and, is interesting. And more than half of people said that they they felt that their job had no meaning or significance. Wow. And the gospel comes, and so you can you can take ordinary, mundane things, and the way that the scriptures come along, there's a couple ways that it says it. You know, what the scriptures say is, you're not working for your employer. Mm. When you work, you're working as unto the Lord. Mm. You're His employee. You're His representative. You know, you're going you're going into that job for His mission. And he is ultimately the one who smiles on you and rewards you. And so you and that's an absolute secure thing. And so what does the gospel say to us? It says that no matter what our performance is and things that we can't control, if if we stink at our job or things beyond our control make our company close and we're we're devastated, you know, that that the company is closed, we have this absolute freedom that our inheritance with God is totally secure. When Jesus goes to the cross, he goes to the cross as the greatest work mm-hmm. in the history of the world. Why? To overwhelm us with an inheritance that's coming. Mm-hmm. To give us an absolute sure hope of heaven and and to infuse our work with purpose. And like I, I love this illustration, but I, I listened to a pastor one time and he said, you know, if if you had to go to work for the next year and I agreed to pay you five dollars an hour how would that work feel? And you're like, well, if I'm being paid $5 an hour, like every single frustration is going to be misery. It's like, oh, $5 an hour, I can't believe I have to do this. <laughs> but if I took that same exact job and I said, I'm going to pay you $30 million a year, <laughs> now all of a sudden you're pretty excited to go do it. And, and here's, here's the reality. In Christ, the reward that is in store for you is so much greater than 30 million. So your ordinary everyday tasks, you're already walking in that inheritance. Mm-hmm. You're already the first mm-hmm. trillionaire, you know, on earth. Sure. It's just waiting for you. And so now you can walk in the freedom of knowing that your job doesn't define you, that you already have fulfillment and satisfaction, mm-hmm. and it frees you up. It frees you up to work for for your pleasures and for his. Sure. Mm-hmm. Well, and you, you think about you know, we talked earlier about uh, will there be work in heaven? And we talked about how heaven was going to be this perfect and fulfilled place. And I guarantee you that you could ask anybody who makes thirty million a year or thirty billion a year, it doesn't matter, yeah. if they would trade that for a life that is perfect Just, and fulfilled. Yeah. And you and I know they would. I know they would. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. it, so it, that kind of reality really does override any concerns about 
about money. Not that we necessarily shouldn't be paid a fair wage for what we do. I'm, I'm still kind of about that. Power to the people, workers <laughs> unite. Uh, but I do, I do want to sit, understand that it's not just for the money no. that, we, that we do things. So, so then does the gospel tell us about being a better employee in some sense? I mean, is that... Okay, Drew's nodding. Yeah, so, yeah, absolutely. the gospel tells you to be a better employee? Yeah, I, I think that we should be the best employees. I, I love the idea that in our workplaces, we should stand out as believers. That the way, even if it's a job that's like you're a CEO or if you're working at a restaurant, whatever you're doing, there should be something by the way that we work excellently that should catch people's eye that should show them something different and because if if we are going to receive that as truth that god has called us to whatever we do to work at it as fully to the lord knowing that we have this inheritance from him mm-hmm. then that means that every single opportunity that we get to show him to the world we've got to take the most of those opportunities and so that that places this high call on us as believers to to genuinely make the most of our time at our jobs and to do them well, because I think God creates. Um, if we're if we're going to follow in who God who God is, right, and and walk in His image, He is a God um, who creates good things. He is perfect, and so although we are not perfect, I think we should seek to do things excellently so that others notice. It should be different. So let's take the other side of that coin, Sam. How does the gospel tell us to be a better boss? Oh, man. <laughs> Put you on the spot there, Pastor. You know, the, the Christian view of authority is not that, hey, I have authority. That is, that is, by the way, a whole other show. Yeah, right, the Christian right, view right, of authority. right. But the Christian view of authority, you know, the ultimate picture of a leader is Jesus. And what does he do? He doesn't take his authority and lord it over us saying, hey, I'm God, obey, do this right now. What he does as he humbles himself and he encourages those that are that are his followers, his subjects, right? He befriends them. He he lifts them up. Mm-hmm. He finds them in their struggles and he's trying to make them better. And so the the picture of a boss is a picture not of some tyrant. It's the picture of a shepherd. And here's the deal. All the studies are fine. That Harvard study that I mentioned earlier, what they found was when you infuse your employees with a sense of dignity and meaning not only is it a wonderful blessing to them where they feel loved, where they come to work feeling like this is important, this has eternal implications, this is meaningful, but when they feel like it's meaningful, they, they work harder, they work longer, they quit less, they enjoy their job more, it produces a culture in your work environment that improves. And, and you know, if you've ever worked in an environment where there's a negative culture, where it's just you feel beat down and micromanaged and, and they don't trust you with anything and you have no ownership, it's hard to get up and go into work. But if you've ever worked for a boss who loves you hmm. and pours into you and sees you and wants you to succeed to become the very best you can be, those places, those places are wonderful to work. <laughs> and so... If we would take a note from the gospel and say, all right, if I'm going to be a good boss, if I'm going to be a good leader, I want to be like that Jesus guy, Mm. that inspires the most productive, most healthy, most wonderful places to work that produce products that are for the good of people, not to exploit them. You you want the garden to expand. You want you want to produce things that make this world more beautiful, and you work together toward that end. 
it not only makes your company better, it not only makes your employees better, it not only makes you more profitable with a better reputation and on and on and on, it's just the beautiful thing to do. And as a boss, that becomes a part of your meaning. You're, you're a priest. You know, the Bible tells us that we're all priests to one another. That's your way of pointing other people to the beauty that God has in store for them. Let me ask another question, because my job here is to kind of think of the non-Christian who's listening to this Christianese talk, and, and I, you know, it, I, I think that one of the things I've, I've heard from friends that aren't necessarily believers, they have said, well, you know, you guys are always talking about how the world is going to end in fire or whatever. It's like, this world has an expiration date on it, so why should I care? You know, we're talking about the, the, our jobs, making a difference, expanding the garden, all these things, making the world a beautiful place, making the world redeemed. If the world actually has, and, and theologically speaking, the world does have an expiration date on it. God's going to make it over again at some point. If it has an expiration date on it, why are we trying so hard to make it better? Because God, God has called us to. Okay. And he's invited us into that with him. And so all throughout scripture, when you look at how God calls us to live, he said, walk in what I have for you. Walk in, walk in my spirit. Uh, pray for the people that you interact with, love them well. Um, he puts such an emphasis on the way that we love, the way that we live. And so I think that is a huge reason why why we bother. But I think also because we believe that as we work and as we seek to use every aspect of our lives, whether that's our job or our relationships, to to love others and to show them our God, we believe yeah. that God moves yeah. and he, he does powerful things. So we're not just working in the meantime idly until he comes again, but we believe that as we step out in faith and we, we cultivate the garden through our work, that God, by his spirit, is going to do beautiful, wonderful things in and through us. Yeah. And so that, yeah. that adds totally this huge, beautiful value to what we do. Yeah, And, there, and there's a way to, to kind of flip that question onto its head. If everything is going to be taken away from us mm. right so all of your money your house your car loved ones family members you know friends all of it is going to be swallowed up by the grave all of it's going to to rot to fall apart it's all going to the ash heap what god gives us is the only the absolute only way to overcome the grave Hmm. Right? And so when we love, when we love people, hmm. you know, there's one thing on this planet that's immortal, and it's the soul. Yeah. And so we have this ability for our work to be impactful for eternity by pouring into other people, by, by loving them and lifting them up and using our work as a means to build others up. That has eternal significance. If I take the gospel away, then I'm forced to say it's all meaningless. All of it's mm -hmm. going to end at the grave. All of it's going to fall apart. And there's no reason to do anything. You know, there's this old, the end of a famous poem where it says, only one life and it will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Is that what the Bible means when it talks about laying up treasures in heaven Absolutely. where moth and rust don't mm -hmm. corrupt? This idea that the things that we do with an eternal consequence, those are things that last forever. And the world really is people. It's not just things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, when when we work as God calls us to, we are working for the people around yeah. us. Yeah, God calls on us and, and the language is it's it's very metaphorical, but he calls on us. He says we're building a spiritual house. And then he says we're building with living stones. Well, what are those living stones? 
they're they're you yeah they're me yeah. and so the most important work we do isn't with you know widgets it's with other people mm-hmm. like that needs to be our focus and our work how we lift other people up and point them to something that's eternally significant that's the great work that's the spiritual garden mm-hmm. that the christians are called to take to the ends of the earth let me show you a love that's beyond anything you've ever known. Let me show you a purpose that's beyond anything you can imagine. Let me show you a hope that can never be stripped away from you. Everything else in this world is fading. Right. So, any final thoughts before we wrap this up? I do have one final thought. Have you ever have you ever seen the movie Chariots of Fire? No, I actually, actually I have not. I'm you sorry. have not. I have not. Either. But everybody knows that yeah. you guys have not seen Chariots of Fire. No. Everybody knows the music. So anyway, in, the, in this movie, which I think went on to win an Oscar, it's the story of a Christian who's running in the 1924 Olympics. And he is totally odds-on favorite to win the 100-meter dash. And he's this wonderful guy. His parents were missionaries, and they say, you should be going into the mission field. And he says this really, really profound line. He says, I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. Mm. And when I run... I feel his pleasure. And so he had pursued this this notion, this calling to run in the Olympics, even though he was called to do mission work and all these other things. Hmm. But because he felt God's pleasure there, he pursued that. And this is this is the beautiful part. When he was in the Olympics, was the odds-on favorite to win the 100-meter dash. That's what he wanted. That's what his hope was. And then they scheduled the race for a Sunday. And for him, the Sabbath was really, really important. And so he took all those hopes, all those ambitions, and he said, I'm not going to trade my convictions. Mm. And he wouldn't, didn't run. He wasn't bitter about it. He didn't complain. He didn't go, oh, you people, you know, you're persecuting me. In fact, at the end of it, he said, um, it has been a wonderful experience to compete in the Olympic Games and to bring home a gold because he won the 400. But since I have been a young lad... I have had my eyes on a different prize. Hmm. You see, each one of us is in a greater race than any that I have run in Paris, and this race ends when God gives out the medals. And there's when we come to work, you know, we chase after our passions. We want to achieve. We want all the, the ultimate things, but at the end of the day, we know that our approval, our medal, our inheritance, our pay, our reward comes from God, and that's something we never want to compromise there was another guy that was also one of the top runners, and he was going to run the 100. And this shows the antithesis of what comes with Christian freedom, the, the opposite side. And this guy's name was Harold Abrams. And before the race, this is a guy that was plagued by fear. He, was, he absolutely had to perform to, to, to show how worthy he was. And right before the race, he says this, and I think it's a powerful contrast uh, to what Eric Liddell said. He said, and now in one hour's time, I'll be out there again. I will raise my eyes and look down that corridor four feet wide with 10 lonely seconds to justify my existence. Hmm. And so you see the difference between a man who says, the results of my labor do not define me. And he walks with freedom and joy. Hmm. And another guy who says, wherever I place in this 10 second race either justifies my existence or not. Hmm. When we come to the topic of work, we know we stand justified regardless of how this plays out. Why? Not because we're good enough, 
but because God is good enough. And he calls us and loves us to go out into this world to share that love and to take the garden and take it to the ends of the earth. And that's a beautiful calling. We'll let that stand as the last word. That's it for another week on the Out of Water podcast. Uh, We hope that you have enjoyed our discussion, that it's been profitable for you. If you have questions or you'd like to communicate with us, you can send us an email, outofwater at riovistachurch.com, or you can visit our webpage, riovistachurch.com slash outofwater. We also want to encourage you to like, subscribe, uh, to talk good, give us a good rating, because that's how more people can discover this podcast. We'll see you next time. We hope you enjoyed your time with us and you will both subscribe to the podcast and listen regularly. You can find out more about Out of Water, catch up on past episodes, and access show notes at our website, riovistachurch.com slash outofwater.